Good morning. It's good to see everyone out with us this morning. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. We're going to begin our study there in just a moment. The idea that we're going to focus on as we read a portion of Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman is the idea of true worship and what it means to be a true worshiper. All of us are here today to worship God, to, to pour out our praise to Him, to express our reverence to Him. That's why all of us have assembled and gathered here today. But what's interesting, as we're going to read in just a moment, is that Jesus acknowledges the fact that there is true worship. Therefore, by definition, there must also be false worship. And so if all of us have gathered here to worship God, it now becomes extremely important that we do the self-examination and that we engage in the study to make sure that we have gathered together in true worship, to be true worshipers of God, as Jesus is alluding to. Let's read this portion of this interaction between Jesus and this woman, beginning in verse number 19 of John chapter 4. So we're going to pick up towards the end of their conversation. I understand that. You can go back and read the rest of their interaction if you would like. But for the sake of our study this morning, we're going to pick up in verse number 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Such an interesting point that Jesus is making. As this Samaritan woman points out the very stark difference between how the Samaritans worship and how the Jews worship. The Samaritans would go up to Mount Gerizim and they would worship there, but the Jews say, no, 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 no. That's not where you really worship God. You do that in Jerusalem. And Jesus, hearing that and knowing that about the Samaritans, makes the point, listen, I understand all of the differences about how you all have approached worship, and I'm here to tell you that none of it is going to matter. It's not going to matter whether you're in Jerusalem, whether you're on this mountain, because the true worshipers of God are going to worship in spirit and in truth. True worshipers. That's what we're all striving to be. And so what I want to do 
is over the next few minutes, just unpack a little bit of what Jesus means when he calls us, those wanting to be true worshipers, to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, as we look at the idea of worshiping in spirit, there's an important point that I think we need to begin with. Jesus does not say that true worshipers must worship in the Holy Spirit, or in the Spirit, or in God's Spirit. Now, sometimes that can be a difficult distinction to make as we look throughout Scripture, but that's not, that's not in, this, in this particular interaction, that's not what Jesus is referring to. He is referring to the spiritual realm, the spiritual nature. We are to worship in that way. He's asking us to think inwardly, not about the physical things. Remember, that's the distinction that he's making here. It's not about the mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. You're going to worship in spirit. Think inwardly. Our minds must be engaged. Our hearts must be engaged. That's why I had Christopher read from us from Psalm 100. The Psalms serve as such a wonderful example for us of what it means to worship God in spirit as they pour out their emotions and their reverence and what they're thinking and what they're dwelling on. It all comes out in praise and in worship. That's that's what Jesus is asking us to consider. For so long at this time, both the Jews and the Samaritans They have focused on where they're going to worship. And they have focused on who is offering the sacrifices. And they have focused on all of the customs and the traditions that that they have built up over the years. Many of which no longer even resemble the law that God had once given them. But all of their intention and all of their focus is on these these physical things. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be a true worshiper of mine, you're going to have to move beyond the physical. True worshipers worship in spirit. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. I think the the Hebrew writer here gives us an interesting picture of this as he also challenges us to think about this idea. In Hebrews chapter 12, and verse number 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. This isn't a physical kingdom. That was one of the battles that Jesus fought during his ministry. is because so many had this misconception that he was going to come and bring about a physical kingdom. And he fought that tooth and nail over the course of his ministry. Well, in Hebrews, we're reminded of that. That, that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken because that kingdom is not physical. It's spiritual. And so if we want to engage in that and be a part of that, then we too must worship in spirit. 
remove ourselves from the physical realm in which we reside and think about God and worship Him from a spiritual perspective. I've heard it said, and I appreciate the sentiments, that our connection between the human experience that we are all taking a part in and the divine is the Spirit. And that's where God asks us to reside as we commune with Him, as we sing praises, as we open up His Word and read from it. We are to be worshipers in spirit. We are to look inward and to consider the heart. That's what so much of Jesus' teaching is asking us to do. Essentially, the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is asking people to think and consider the heart. So many times we get wrapped up in the physical world and we get wrapped up in the customs and traditions that have been created and we plant our flag in those things as we worship. And Jesus challenged this woman and through this story challenges us to think beyond that and to worship with emotion and to worship with passion and to worship with reverence and godly fear as we worship him in spirit. If you're still in Hebrews, back up just a couple of pages from where we were in Hebrews chapter 12 to Hebrews chapter 8. I think this passage serves as an interesting transition as we move from thinking about worshiping in spirit and think about worshiping in truth, because I think both are seen in this passage. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, Now, this is the main point. You know whatever's about to come next is important when it starts with, this is the main point. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said... See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, are you able to start to see how the idea of spirit and truth? merge together in Christ? See, as the Hebrew writer is pointing out here, the, the, the mediator that we have, the high priest that we have, is not a priest that, that resides in the tabernacle or the temple and offers physical sacrifices on our behalf. That's not the high priest that we have any longer. Think spiritually. Our high priest is in heaven. 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But he also points out something about the tabernacle. There is now a tabernacle that wasn't erected by man. It was erected by God. A a physical tabernacle is no longer needed because God has erected a spiritual tabernacle in which we can worship spirit. However, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle, did he build a physical location for them to worship? Yes, he did. Was that important? Absolutely it was. In fact, we're told that it was so important that God gave him a pattern to follow in order to build it the way that God intended for it to be built. Spirit and truth begin to meet. You see, we can't get so focused on the things of emotion and the things of passion that we lose the importance for truth just as we can't get so focused on things that are truth that we lose the importance of worshiping in spirit. They have to be merged together. And that is what Jesus is wanting these people to see as he speaks to this Samaritan woman. Because sincerity and emotion and all of those things, as important and necessary as they are in our worship, they are not a complete or adequate test of acceptable worship. We must worship in spirit and in truth. To illustrate this point, the proverb writer makes it very clear how dangerous it can be to go throughout life, and specifically as we apply this principle to worship, doing whatever feels right to us in the moment. In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. We cannot approach worship doing whatever feels right because we are moved in the moment and this is what feels right and so this is how I'm going to worship God. That is the way that leads to death because we have to worship in truth. We have to recognize that there is absolute truth that has been given to us. And there is a pattern for how God wants acceptable worship to be conducted that you and I have a responsibility to follow in order to be true worshipers. There's biblical example of this principle. I'll give you just a couple. In Leviticus chapter 10, we won't go back and read that, but the first 10 verses in Leviticus chapter 10 tell us the story of Nadab and Abihu. Two priests who put, as it's said there in Leviticus chapter 10, a profane fire that God had not authorized in their censers in order to offer up incense to God. Now, maybe it felt right to them. Maybe it was a matter of convenience. I don't really know. But they did something in the name of worship, in the name of honoring God. But it was not what God wanted them to do. It wasn't how he wanted to be worshipped. And so what happened? They were put to death as a result of that. Another example, King Jeroboam, in in, in the book of 1 Kings, as the nation of Israel is split, and Jeroboam becomes the first king of, of the northern nation of Israel, 
one of the first things that Jeroboam recognizes is, listen, we're all up here in the north, Jerusalem's kind of far away, I'm going to establish new places for the people to worship. Well, God had told his people to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. Jeroboam was like, you know what, uh, this, this feels right, it feels better, it would be better for the people and selfishly for him if he had places in the northern part of the kingdom for the people to worship. Well, you can imagine how that story ends. Over 20 times in the Old Testament, writers look back and chastise Jeroboam for what he did there. Jeroboam's legacy, what we all think about when we think of Jeroboam, is his wickedness because he didn't follow what God had told his people to do as it pertains to worship. You and I have an important responsibility to worship God the way that he intends and wants us to worship him. And that is in truth. Just a few pages over from where we were in John chapter 4, in in John chapter 17, Jesus will reiterate the importance of truth. As he says in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. He's praying for his followers. He's praying for his disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus praying to his father, set apart these people. Set apart these followers of mine. And how are they going to be set apart? By the truth that is God's word. That's what sets us apart as true worshipers of God is because we worship according to truth. We follow the pattern that is given to us in Scripture. We allow God's word to be our standard. And so, when we come to worship together, we do so on the first day of the week. Is that because it's the most convenient time for us? Not necessarily. It's because we can go to passages like Acts 20 and verse 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and we can see biblical examples of Christians assembling on the first day of the week to worship. When we sing together, do we do that because it feels right? Or do we do that because we just don't like instruments? No, that's not why we do that. It's because we can go to Colossians chapter 3 and we can read the desire that God has for his people to sing and in doing so to praise him and to edify and teach one another. We take the Lord's Supper in the manner that we did because as John pointed us to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and as Jesus, even as he institutes the Lord's Supper there towards the end of his life, instructions are given. A pattern is laid out before us as to how to do that. And so we worship in truth. And as we do so, we merge the importance of worshiping in spirit, pouring our heart out, emoting, showing reverence and passion for what we're doing. And we do all of it according to the truth that God has revealed to us. And that is what true worshipers of God do. 
Worship isn't about how I feel. It's about how God feels. Worship isn't about what I want. It's about what God wants. And the truth that is revealed to us in Scripture has plainly shown us what God expects of true worshipers. As I was thinking about this idea of truth and the absolute nature of it within Scripture and the, the pattern that God has laid out before us, one of the things that really came to mind is just how obvious of a character trait this reveals of God and His nature. And it's one that goes all the way back to the early pages of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, as the ark is to be built in preparation for the flood, God gives very specific instructions to Noah as to how that ark is to be built. In Exodus 25, we've mentioned already the tabernacle that Moses erected. In Exodus chapter 25, there are very specific instructions that God gives as to how his tabernacle is to be built and the purpose with which it is to be used. In Exodus chapter 12, again, very detailed instructions regarding the Passover and how that was to be observed. God is a God of pattern. He is one of order. He is one of structure. And when he gives instructions, he expects those instructions to be followed the way that he has laid them out for us. And so he has done with the Lord's church. So he has done with how we are saved from our sins. So he has done with worship. As Paul writes to the Christians in First Corinthians or in Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter 14, excuse me, in verse number 40, he begins to conclude some of those instructions regarding the assemblies of the Christians by saying, "Let all things be done decently and in order." God expects us to follow the pattern that He has given to us, and He does so for good reason. Number one, it's because worship belongs to him. Worship is not ours. Worship is God's. Therefore, the instructions that he has given regarding worship demand us to follow them in order to be aligned with him. But also, he gives us these instructions so that we can then freely worship him in spirit. Because we're not arguing over, you know, I, I kind of would like to worship on Saturday evenings. Or, or you know, I would really like, I would really prefer that, that we have some instruments up here. That would be my preference. That's what I would feel best doing. You see, we can free ourselves from all of those arguments and potential quarrels because we are following God's divine pattern. And now, you and I can come together as Christians and worship with passion and worship with emotion, and worship with sincerity. Because the decisions about how we worship have been made by God, the designer and the creator of worship. And so when we piece those together, we begin to see just how freeing it is to worship according to God's will, to worship according to his pattern, 
It allows us to pour our all into what we are doing. Lastly, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Peter with me as we begin to draw this to a close. In, in the book of 2 Peter, in the first chapter, I'm going to read just a couple of verses with you, beginning in verse number 2. I'm going to ask you to just think about some of the things that we've been talking about this morning as we read this passage. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. What a beautiful and encouraging passage that is. To, to think about the fact that, that we have been given these wonderful, precious promises, and that through them we can be partakers of the divine nature. Shaking the shackles off of this physical realm in which we reside and be partakers of the divine nature. That's what all of us as Christians should be longing to do. Is to be divinely connected with God in spirit. As he sets us apart according to truth according to his word, making us his own, and preparing us for a day in which he brings us home with him. All of us here, as, as John pointed out, I, I loved the way that he phrased some of his thoughts as he was leading us at the Lord's table. We are anticipating that day in which we are taken home to heaven, in which time all of us is spiritual, at which time we can remove all of the cares and the worries of the physical, and we can live with God in spirit forever. That's what all of us are anticipating, and we anticipate that in our worship as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to be true worshipers because we know who He is and what he's done for us. You see, that's the beauty of John chapter 4, if you continue on in the reading uh, where we left off. This woman comes to recognize Jesus as the Messiah because of what he has said in this interaction with her. And she goes back into her town, and she starts telling people, you guys aren't going to believe who I just met. And it raises, obviously, the curiosity of all of those in the town. And we're told towards the end of John chapter 4 that many came to be followers of Jesus because of that, what that woman did and said. But they came to be true followers of Jesus, not just because of what she said, but because they went to hear him for themselves. They went to hear the truth of Jesus for themselves. And through the inspired word of God that we have before of us, all of us have the opportunity to do that as well. To commune with him in spirit, 
to be connected with him in spirit, to have a relationship with him in spirit, and to worship him in spirit. Because we are followers of the truth, and because we have yielded our will to the will of God as it is divinely inspired for us. And that's the call for all of us this morning, to give consideration to whether or not we have done that, to give consideration as to whether or not we have followed the pattern, the inspired truth that God has revealed to us to become a child of his, to be baptized for the remission of our sins and raised up a new creature, free of sin, perfect in the eyes of our Savior, preparing us and readying us to worship him for as many days as he gives us in spirit and in truth. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, we extend to you the invitation to do that this morning. Maybe you have, and maybe as you consider your relationship with God, maybe as you consider your worship to God, you recognize that there are some changes that you need to make in your life. If there are, and if we can help, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.